Welcome to The Greek Current, a podcast by Halk and Kathy Merini. I'm your host, Thanos Davelis. January 30th marked the 100-year anniversary of the signing of the Lausanne Convention, which led to the expulsion of 1.2 million Greek Orthodox Christians from Turkey and 400,000 Muslims from Greece. This traumatic moment in history fundamentally changed Greece and Hellenism, and its memory is still very much alive and well in Greece. Professor Alexander Kitroev, a professor of history at Haverford College who has written extensively on the history of Greece and the Greek diaspora, joins me to look at the lasting legacy of this traumatic experience from its impact on Greece to the way it still influences Greek-Turkish relations to this day. Professor Kitroev, always great to speak with you. Thanks for joining us. Good to be back, Thano. Professor, a few days ago, we marked 100 years since the population exchange between Greece and Turkey, which brought an end to the Greek presence in Asia Minor that goes back millennia. How has this single event shaped Greece's modern history and the overall course of Hellenism? Well, I think we can uh, confidently say since the time of the establishment of the modern Greek state through the present, I think this is the major turning point. And um, the effect that the expulsion of the ethnic Greeks from Turkey and their influx into Greece had on the first level is it affected Greece's foreign policy. Throughout the 19th century, Greece's foreign policy was focused on the project of the great idea of incorporating lands that were historically Greek and populated by Greeks, which were outside Greece's borders. The idea was to bring them within Greece's borders. And throughout the 19th century, many regions were incorporated, such as uh, Macedonia, Epirus, Crete, the islands of the northern Aegean, and the Greek-Turkish War of 1919 to 1922, its purpose was to incorporate the area around Smyrna on the western coast of uh, present-day Turkey, which was predominantly ethnically Greek. The defeat of Greece at the end of that war in 1922 meant the end of that project and the expulsion of the Greeks from that area, and by that moment meant that Greece abandoned that project, and from now on, Greece's foreign policy was oriented towards uh, development and integrating Greece into Europe. So it brings the end of the great idea in terms of foreign policy. What about looking beyond foreign policy? This must have been an immense challenge to incorporate all of these new Uh, refugees. Yes, we're talking about a country which at the time had a population of about 4.5 million, and you have an influx of 1.2 million destitute refugees. About 80% of those people who had been expelled, ethnically cleansed, arrived in Greece with very little. Greece itself had been engaged in wars for a decade, so the country was in in a very difficult situation, and the absorption and integration of refugees happened with a lot of foreign aid and a a great deal of effort by the uh, Greek authorities. The influx really transformed Greece. Demographically, it changed the appearance of Greece, the major towns such as 
Athens and Thessaloniki acquired huge new neighborhoods around the center of uh, both cities. And most importantly, because a lot of refugees were settled in uh, Macedonia and Thrace in the north of Greece, the uh, establishment of Greek populations in those areas made those areas more reliably ethnically Greek. And that was very important because Greece's northern neighbors were challenging Greece on the sovereignty of those areas. So making those areas solidly Greek was very important. Beyond the demographics, in terms of economics, society, politics, culture, huge, huge changes. Economically, the refugees helped Greek agriculture, but many, many of the refugees came with a great deal of know-how in terms of textile industry, cigarette manufacturing, carpet manufacturing, food manufacturing. Really, there was a huge uptick and transformation of the Greek economy thanks to the know-how that they brought and the fact that the labor force uh, increased. Politically, they shaped Greece. This was a time when Greek politics was divided between the pro-Venezuelist Republicans and the uh, Royalists. The refugees consolidated um, the Republican Venizelos domination of politics, at at least through the mid-1930s. Culturally, the changes were huge in terms of, let's say, highbrow culture, literature, poetry was transformed by incoming refugees. George Seferis, for example, who wins the Nobel Prize of Literature in the 1960s, was uh, an Asia Minor Greek himself. More lowbrow culture, such as music, new forms of music, Rebetiko, came into Greece. And as all Greeks know, I think, but we should mention it, the cuisine of Greece changed radically because the ethnic Greeks in Asia Minor had a different way of cooking meat with vegetables, the use of yogurt, the different desserts and sweets that they had in the Ottoman Empire. That also made a big change in Greece. So overall, a across-the-board transformation of Greece. Greece, post the influx of refugees, is almost unrecognizable. If someone had visited Greece just before the influx and then came back after four or five years, they would have seen a completely different country. Professor, when talking about the exchange of populations, many people will tend to look at the big picture, such as, you know, how that's transformed Greece's politics or its foreign policy. In doing so, though, do we risk forgetting the very fundamental human dimension of what is essentially a very traumatic event? Yes, you know, even the politicians themselves who were debating the exchange of populations, they uh, met in Lausanne beginning in November 1922 to decide the aftermath of the Greek-Turkish war. And the exchange of populations was one issue that they were considering. Of course, to some extent, a lot of the refugees had already arrived in Greece, but there were still some left And then there was the issue of the Muslim populations in Greece that would be sent back into Turkey. The politicians themselves, Eleftherios Venizelos on the Greek side, General Ismet on the Turkish side, and the Norwegian diplomat Friedrich Nansen were debating the exchange, but they were very conscious of the 
devastating human impact that this would have on each one of those refugees. Those who had already been ethnically cleansed and had arrived in Greece would be told when the dotted line would have been signed on the exchange, they would be told that irrevocably they would never return to their villages, which they had in Asia Minor, where they had lived for generations. Many of them hoped that they would. Many of them came with the keys of their houses around their necks, assuming that this was just a temporary move that they had been forced to do. As far as the ones who were left in Turkey and had to leave, such as the Cappadocian Greeks from the center of Asia Minor, this was an extremely traumatic event. And there's historical information about processions of Greeks leaving villages with their icons and everyone is uh, in tears. And it really is a brutal uprooting because, of course, they are going to somewhere where they don't know what their lives are going to be like. It's really hugely traumatic, politically necessary, but in human terms, traumatic. Is the memory of this forced exchange still very much alive and well in Greece and in Turkey, where refugees and their descendants, at least in Greece, make up a large part of the population? Yes, the impact on Greece is obviously bigger because we've got the influx of 1.2 million. And in Turkey, we've got about 350 to 400,000 Muslims leaving Greece and going into Turkey, which had a bigger population in any case. So the impact was greater on Greece, and therefore the memory is much more alive. We have neighborhoods in Athens that we identify as uh, uh, refugee neighborhoods. Those neighborhoods have many cultural clubs and other organizations that keep alive the memory of those lands that they left behind. And in many cases, they organize trips to go over into Turkey to visit their ancestral homeland, as it were. And they're also exchange visits by Muslims who were exchanged. They go back and visit places in Macedonia and Crete. So this is something that is very much alive in Greek culture and Greeks themselves, whether they are of Asia Minor descent or from Greece itself, are very conscious of the significance of the presence of Asia Minor uh, Greeks in the country. Professor, despite the fact that this was 100 years ago, does this cataclysmic moment in history continue to influence Greek-Turkish relations to this day? It does very much, and we're seeing this with the anniversary. The aim of the Treaty of Lausanne 100 years ago was to establish the conditions in which Greece and Turkey could cohabitate peacefully. And in the 1930s, there were efforts by uh, Venizelos to consolidate those good relations. But as we've seen with the 100th anniversary on the side of Turkey and through what we hear Turkish politicians are saying, there's a kind of sense of triumphalism. They describe the events as having pushed the Greeks into the sea and threatened to do it again. So uh, this occasion, which really should be one in which the two countries see that they found a way to uh, live next to each other, 
for many nationalist politicians on the other side of the Aegean. Instead of this happening, they are finding the opportunity to do some kind of nationalist saber-rattling, and that is a shame. There is the memory of people who were lost, both Greeks and Turks, 100 years ago. Huge efforts were done to integrate the refugees on both sides of the Aegean, And those are things I think that we should look back on and uh, there are an opportunity to build something positive out of this memory rather than uh, start thinking in terms of uh, reviving that conflict. While most Greek Orthodox Christians and Muslims had to leave their homes, some were allowed to remain. Where does their story fit in here, especially in the context of Greek-Turkish relations over the last century? At the Lausanne Treaty in 1923, what was decided was that uh, not all the populations would be exchanged. There were two groups that were excluded. One was the Muslim populations in Western Thrace, in Greece, and the other group were the Greeks of Constantinople, Istanbul, along with the ecumenical patriarchate that, of course, has been there historically and remains. Now, we're talking about populations of roughly about 120,000 on each side. And the history of those two groups has been radically different and is a reflection of the difficulties between Greek and Turkish relations. The Muslim populations in Western Thrace have remained On the other hand, the Greeks in Istanbul have faced a series, a wave of discriminatory measures and expulsion, and that population has dwindled to only a few thousand. We've had some very serious incidents, an anti-Greek pogrom in 1955, a series of expulsions in 1964, a number of measures. So unfortunately, that is one aspect of the Lausanne Treaty that has not been respected. So the tensions continue between the two countries. Turkey tries to instrumentalize the presence of the Muslim community in Western Thrace. The ecumenical patriarchate and the Greeks in Istanbul still face a difficult situation. So we still have ongoing lingering tension and maybe the Centenary of the uh, Lausanne Treaty is an opportunity for everyone to reflect on its significance and perhaps go back to the original principles. Professor, always great speaking with you. Thanks for joining us. Pleasure to be with you again, Thano. Thank you. In other news, the visit by U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken to Athens on February 21st will take place in a strictly bilateral framework, despite initial suggestions from Athens for a resumption at a ministerial level of the 3 plus 1 format. According to reports, the United States prefers to limit the agenda to the strategic dialogue and the linked discussion on the updating of the Mutual Defense Cooperation Agreement. Blinken will be visiting both Athens and Ankara, and Kathimedini reports that it is politically clear that Washington's priority is to maintain excellent relations with Athens at a high level, while also remaining focused on Turkey. Finally, Turkey looks positively on Finland's application for NATO membership, but does not support Sweden's bid, Turkish President Erdogan said on Wednesday. Sweden should not bother to try at this point. We will not say yes to their NATO application as long as they allow burning of the Quran. Erdogan said, a reference to a recent protest in Stockholm in which a far-right Danish politician burned a copy of the Quran. Meanwhile, in an exclusive interview with Kathimedini, retired Admiral James Tavridis, the former head of NATO forces in Europe, 
said Turkey is the main point of dissonance in the unity of the Western alliance against the Russian invasion of Ukraine. That wraps up today's episode of The Greek Current. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.